Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the House Divided Podcast. Jeremy, we are one week from real football season. We got a game yesterday. We'll talk about that later down the line, but real football season starts next next week how excited are you I'm excited i went two and oh on my best yesterday my non-parlay bets because you know i'm a sucker for the parlay mm-hmm. but uh you are my non-parlay bets two wins thank you el paso and thank you illinois on the money line yeah speaking so, of illinois on the money line uh i figured we should plug this on the air we are back at it again with the picks contest for all the Big Ten spreads this year. This year, new to the game, non-conference games. That's going to be fun. Uh, and this year, Jeremy thought of a better way to do it. So instead of tweeting all your picks at us and having us uh, enter it into a Google spreadsheet every week, we are now going to tweet out a Google form for you to fill out. Uh, all you have to do is put your email in and then we'll send it to you every week. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be great. All you have to do is click the link. We'll already have the lines there. You just have to make your pick and be completed in three to five minutes every week. And then you're in the running for a uh, home field apparel t-shirt, which will be completely free to you. So really it's a no brainer. I think you should do it to, to find the Google form. You can go to at podcast divided on twitter it's our handle um we're going to be more active on there during uh, all all of this athletic season uh so look forward to you guys maybe giving that account a follow and taking part in this contest because it's going to be a bunch of fun yeah it should be so yeah we'll hopefully have the form out typically uh you know kind of plug how we'll do the show too this year uh sunday night will be wrap up of the week's games um you know, review how we did in our picks and review the Michigan Michigan State games. And then we'll typically do a Wednesday or Thursday recording, Thursday, Friday release of uh, preview for the next weekend. And so right when we drop that episode is when we will also drop the Google form, give you guys hopefully 24-ish hours to get your picks in and, uh, and participate. Yeah, you know, no buy-in needed from you. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a fun, fun game. We've done this for a couple years now like brendan and i and a couple of the listeners participating but the figure we put a little bit more on the line and have a little more uh professionalism with it so. well as last year's winner i can say it was a lot of fun and uh hopefully we'll have plenty of fun this year <laughs> yeah yeah i guess uh you know that's a plug for follow brendan's picks you know when you're if you're listening to the oh, episode to help inform your opinion Absolutely don't, folks. I do not. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, man, I, I got bent with some NASCAR yesterday. Ugh. Anyways, moving on uh, to something a little bit more positive for me and uh, a little less positive for Jeremy. Sorry, buddy. Uh, the Michigan talent pipeline for hockey has picked up again, this time for uh, 
the the 2022 freshmen, I believe all these guys will be coming next season. Um, so what kind of started the chain reaction was news finally that Adam Fantilli, brother of uh, somebody who was committed before, Luca Fantilli, to play at Michigan, decided to not go to the OHL and stay one more year in the USHL and then take his talent to Michigan. This in a chain reaction led to former Notre Dame commit Rutger McGordy, which is a fantastic name. Oh, it's uh, Rutgers. No, it is Rutger McGordy. No, it's Rutger. I yeah. It sorry. I messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Rutger McGordy, might as well be Rutger Magoldy, folks, because he scores lots of goals. Yeah, that's right. We're going with the dad jokes already this this quick in the episode. But he does. He scores lots of goals, and he decided to follow Adam to Michigan. So uh, two year, it'll be two years after the star-studded freshman class uh, of 2020 came in. We're going to be with another one. Um, according to Puck Preps, out of the kids who are going to who appear to be college hockey bound in the 2004 birth year, number one, two, three, five, and seven are in Michigan's class. So uh, I, I don't. We don't have to spend too long on this because it's football season. But um, trophies got to start coming, folks. Because in the next, if we're sitting here in three years and there's not lots and lots of trophies. There's going to have to be conversations to be had, but uh, th- this much talent is incredible and it's not common to see at any uh, college sport. So let's enjoy the next couple of years at Yoast folks. Uh, Jeremy, would you like to berate me for any of this? Well, so no, it's a, it's a pretty interesting run. And to me, it's an interesting, I think there's a lot of what if conversations to have. So, uh, what if COVID doesn't wipe out the OHL this year? Um, Adam Fantilli was always planning to come down and play with his brother, Luca, for the Chicago Steel, which is, I mean, that's the top USHL program, so it's not a bad spot to come down, you know, and, and do a year. Um, but I think a big part of that as well was <laughs> no OHL season ended up happening. So, pretty easy to be happy with your choice when one league plays and one doesn't, um, which opened the door to probably make it swing a little bit in Michigan's favor in the recruitment. So um, pouncing on an opportunity there. And then uh, in the case of Rutger McGrady, um the Brandon Nerado hiring as assistant coach pays off right away because Rutger um, to help people a little bit, there's a, there's a school program called Total Prospect Hockey in Michigan. There's a few different locations in Michigan. It's, it's spread countrywide now um, to Colorado, Nashville, uh, St. Louis. So it's a, it's a whole program. Uh, kids take their classes online at the rink. They're on the ice every day. Um, in addition to playing AAA hockey or uh, whatever their additional team is, they're, they're on the ice during the day with skills coaches and other players um, and basically find a way to be on the ice more and, and balance their school schedule, which is pretty hard as a triple-A hockey player. So um, Brandon Arado started that program years ago um, and is now on Michigan staff as an assistant. 
and one of his students was Rector McGroarty. So um, clearly the McGroarty family, uh, whose dad, his dad coaches in the USHL, he's a great coach, um, see the value in sticking with who he's worked with and Brandon Narado. So uh, great bit for Michigan, good week. Um, like you said, I mean, with that 2004 birth year, they've got, you know, I, I use neutral zone because I have the uh, subscription there. So I'll plug that a little bit. But yeah, one, two, four, five, and eight all going to Michigan. I don't know if they'll all show up at the same time. Um, Fantilli will definitely be there next year and Rucker will definitely be there next year. Um, Seamus Casey, probably the year after. He's on the NTDP C17 right now. Um, uh what about Hunter? Oh, no, up to the agent. Hunter, yeah, Hunter, Frank, and Seamus, they probably could all show up uh, in 2022, but I would pencil them all. Um, Seamus, I would probably put his 2023, Hunter, maybe 2022, and Frank, 2022. Um, but Seamus probably, just being a defenseman and a little undersized, might need a little bit more time to beef up. But we'll see how it goes. I mean, he's in the NTDP program. Um if he lights it up there and Michigan has a need on the blue line, you can certainly bring him in. Uh, but there's only, you only carry seven, eight defensemen. It's hard uh, to come in. And they also have Hunter Bruzu, uh, Hunter Bruzutowitz. I'm going to butcher that name. Um, he's also a defenseman in the same class. So, um, you know, they may only bring one of them in in the same year, but either way, that's just slice it. I mean, uh, pretty loaded whether you spread that out over two classes or you you have to reload because of a lot of early departures 2022 is going to be a good fall so yeah 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 should be a good good few falls uh for the next couple of years at yost um speaking of big time recruiting imani bates I knew I'd get uh, you with that one uh, uh yeah imani bates committed and if you would have asked me about a month and a half ago, you could have took a lot of money away from me because I would have told you there's not a chance in hell Amani Bates plays a college game uh, because I figured if he wasn't going to East Lansing, he wasn't playing in college. But it appears NIL uh, has changed some things and he is going to Memphis, which um, if you haven't seen, uh, also one of the top players in this next uh, class of recruits for basketball, Jalen Duran is going to Memphis as well as I believe one or two other five stars. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting program to follow this next upcoming college basketball season. We don't have to spend long on this because um, really it doesn't pertain that much to Michigan state. I don't think it was ever super likely Amani was actually going to play there, but I just wanted to touch on it since we've touched on much of the past stories. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's a weird, there's really just stupid discourse about it. You know, good luck to Amani. I think that whether it was Amani himself or his handlers around him, the recruitment probably wasn't handled the best. Um, but also, no one writes a book on how to raise a generational talent child and do a perfect PR battle as life changes. So, um, you know, not the perfect way to run it. Um, unfortunate for Michigan State that 
it's probably harder to spin that he chose another college versus choosing just going pro over coming to you. Um, but when you have a name image like this deal with a large company like FedEx just ready to roll, that's not going to be easy to compete with. So it'll be an interesting season. Uh, as they say, when you load up these teams, right? Like there's only one ball. So um, interesting to see how a pretty inexperienced coach like Penny Hardaway handles it. It could be a complete train wreck and we could have like a situation like a Will Wade in Memphis situation <laughs> um, <laughs> with even less coaching. <laughs> and, uh, you know, who was the player that a couple years ago, I can't remember if it was LSU or it was another Southern program that he just started sitting out in like January. Um, I could see that happening again with one of these guys uh, <laughs> if the season is going ugly. But um, no, I think it's good for college basketball. It'll be cool. Uh, it'll be worth following whether the season's going good or great. It's newsworthy. So uh, mm-hmm. it'll be fun to have fans back in college basketball across the country, have those guys go into road games. Like it's, it's going to be fun. So tough to lose him, but you know what? Uh, it, it may not be the worst thing from a circus standpoint of seeing really all the haters on and how, how much goes into it. Maybe it's not the worst thing because of it. Basketball season goes sideways the way it did last year again, but with Elgin Bates involved, I don't know if I would want that. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, for sure. Did you hear he's playing point guard at Memphis? Ah, yeah. My. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> you I, think you would have played point guard for Izzo? I, <laughs> I'm sure it was requested. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And that was uh, the end of the recruitment, huh? <laughs> yeah wow uh, um, no it'll be interesting i mean you know it's the there's i will just say um take msu out of it you know I mean, that's hard to separate like we're all fans right but um man it's uh pretty ugly watching some of the like discourse online about this kid yeah um, no it's all it's all gross as with recruiting anytime you bring online discourse in you're not going to be thrilled with the results. Um, so let's let's get to the big the big priority of this episode, uh, sorting out these defenses for Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, Michigan's bringing in a whole new scheme, pretty much a whole new staff, um, whereas Michigan State is bringing in a whole new roster. So it is uh, lots to talk about with the defense. So let's dive right in. We're going to use the same categories we did for the offenses two weeks ago, uh, starting with the top dog. Because I've been talking for the last 60 seconds, I'm going to go ahead and start with Michigan. And Michigan's top dog in defense, this is the easiest answer out of this entire conversation. It's Aiden Hutchinson, uh, and it's by a lot because – uh, he has flashed in his years at Michigan potential to be uh, an All-American, to be honest. He's got the physical traits. He's got the work ethic. So it's really a lot of expectations on him making the switch to an edge player this year. He's going to be standing up a lot. So I think there's the possibility for him to get a lot of counting stats and really fulfill that All-American potential. Yeah, seems like a and it's and he's been an interesting guy as uh, our conversation just to plug our last episode with Nick Baumgartner. He kind of touched on it. Um, interesting guy to see with the new scheme, right? Like he 
You're Absolutely. That edge linebacker, you know, rushing off the edge, standing up instead of uh, hand down in the dirt, five tech, you know. So um, interesting to see where he goes with that. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's a beast. It's, uh, it wasn't really known if he was going to come back. And I think hearing that he was going to come back was a huge, huge boost to Michigan in the early offseason. Um, you know, and help get some positivity into the program to see him coming back. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty easy pick for Michigan, uh, it, which is crazy because I think that overall it's crazy to think that uh, Michigan's defense, which used to probably be hard to really nail down a top dog, is, is so easy to pick one. But I, I think there's no other, no other name that you could throw out for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, these are, this is not going to be the Michigan defenses of uh, 2016 through maybe 18, maybe 17. I don't know, (laughs) but yeah, no, this is, this is one where it's very easy to spot. He's a veteran. He was a pretty high regarded recruit. um, And he, he was playing meaningful minutes ever since his true freshman year. So uh, definitely big, could be a big year for him. Uh, how about your top dog on MSU's defense, Jer? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you talk about leadership, you know, a guy like Xavier Henderson jumps out. I mean, he started since his sophomore year. Um, Going to definitely be probably like the, the heart and brain of the defense a little bit. But my top dog, I'll go a little bit, uh, maybe a bit of a surprise pick. But for me, it's going to be Jalen Hunt uh, at defensive tackle. Um, this guy is a guy that, really probably was one of the first names when Mel and uh, Mel and his staff, Scotty Hazleton showed up to East Lansing that they really bought in on early. Um, The one Belleville kid to work out for us and still be there. Uh, You know, he's just, he's just a guy that I think this could be a huge year Um, actually having an off season under this staff, actually having an off season under the new strength and conditioning staff. Um, just feels like he's the guy that could be like our next Jarrell Worthy or Raekwon Williams. Um, just quick off, quick off the line, rushing in from the middle. Um, so yeah, Jalen Hunt's going to be my big dog this year. Uh, and the as Nick Baumgartner said, there's a lot of names on that defensive line you could pick, but I'm going to go with him as, uh, as our guy this year. Yeah, sorry, trying to hit the unmute button. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, and keep in mind, that's crazy because he only had five tackles last year. So this is kind of a big going out on a gamble here, but I just feel like the guy is is poised for a huge breakout season. And with the talent around him, I don't think he can easily be double teamed or uh, taken taken advantage of, so. Yeah, well, I can tell you what, that would be a huge thing for Michigan State if their top dog comes on that defensive line. Because, I mean, we all know that is really where a good defense starts. And just based on looking at the roster, if Michigan State's going to pull off something a little bit closer to their ceiling this year, I think a good defensive line is probably priority number one for them so that would be great news if the, if he could be, end up being your top dog um so on to the next category money to make for those who don't remember uh this is all about upside and who's kind of going into the year where the the world is their oyster but we're kind of waiting on them to take it so uh who is who's who's got some money to make on msu's defense Jer? 
So uh, I'll actually go with, um, I'll go with Xavier Henderson for this category because I think that, again, you're a guy who's started in the defensive backfield for Michigan State, a school that put guys into the league a lot. So you would think if you're the guy who can come in and get minutes your freshman year, start your sophomore year, you know, three years starting, um, you're an automatic NFL guy, but I don't think he's automatic right now. So for me, it's him. I think he can go from playing himself in the, from a late round free agent NFL type guy to if he uh, continues to keep just showing progression and uh, and maybe show some more ball skills. Um, you know, he's already, I think he's a plus tackler. I think he's got tons of upside, but he can show a little bit more in the way of ball skills and um, really manning a defense out there. I think uh, you could see him move into maybe a round three or four type NFL guy, which, you know, there's a, there's some contract incentive there to, to be that versus the free agent or even the late round pick. So um, Xavier Henderson to me is someone that can really, really do it. It's probably between him and, and Drew Beasley, who's back as a, a walk-on defensive line player. But I think his ceiling is probably much lower than Xavier Henderson. So I'm going to go with Henderson. Okay, good pick. Uh, on Michigan's defense, money to make. I, I got stuck between two players for this one. So the first, um, I think this is more of the traditional sense um, for the money to make category. Mozzie Smith is my pick. He is a defensive tackle. Uh, he's been at Michigan. I believe this is going to be his third year playing for U of M. And he's always had the physical traits. And a lot of people, a lot of talk that maybe he wasn't playing at a weight he was super comfortable at under Don Brown. And this scheme that we've talked about, there's going to be a scheme change. Uh, will need a space eater right in the middle of that def uh, the defense. And I think Mozzie Smith has all the physical tools and he's getting all the hype. Uh, and I think this will be very important for whether Michigan fields decent defense or not. Uh, my other pick for this one, he didn't really fit in any of the categories. So I kind of shoehorning him in here just because I think his potential is just through the roof. If this goes well and it's Daxton Hill. Um, Unfortunately, this is probably going to be his last year at Michigan, and it feels like we haven't really gotten any of him uh, because Michigan didn't have a fucking safeties coach last year. Uh, somebody, uh, we, I tell you what, both fan bases make lots of jokes about uh, how their beat reporters uh, ask questions. And, I was going to say, like, yeah, so we've got today. the we've got the Ricky <laughs> White and whoever else thing at MSU right yep. now that nobody Gravely. will ask a question Michael about. Gravely. Yep. Nobody will ask a question where the fuck Bob Shoup was last year. So yeah, it's great. Crazy. I mean, hey, six Southkits. I know it's funny um, to get your get your same discourse every week, but. Uh, Let's not act like Angelique hasn't asked where Bob Shoup was or something, man. Come on. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's, it's all on a, both sides. Oh, it's all God. a shit show. Uh, but yeah. So now he has a safeties coach and we're, we're on to year three where this is where we really need to utilize like the maximum potential of Dax Hill. And so uh, hopefully he can, from what we hear from spring, he's going to be all over the field uh, in all sorts of different positions to make plays. So uh, he is my other player here, which brings us to my least favorite category that we do, but it needs done. Um, scary movie. Uh, this one is going to go to a position, not a whole group, but um, 
we're going to go CB2, cornerback two on this roster. Uh, we don't have one yet officially. Uh, we think it's probably going to be DJ Turner uh, or maybe, again, uh, Vincent Gray. So it's going to be real interesting. And I want Ricky White back. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, whatever this problem is, I, I, I'll probably regret that if uh, you find out what he was in trouble for is really gross. But uh, yeah. if you go just football alone, yeah, please, Vincent Gray. Yeah, he lit up Lin- Vincent Gray. So for those who don't know, I do want to give a shout out to Jamon Green. He's uh, He came uh, out of nowhere, really, as Michigan CB1 last year and was very good. Uh, obviously, the backup corner was the problem last year. And so if DG Tur- DJ Turner can come up and step up and be decent, I have faith enough in Michigan's safeties uh, to come out and they can play some weird sets. But really as many strides as this defense makes um they could be good everywhere else but if that cb2 is just a black hole they're not going to be able to stop ohio state they're not going to be able to stop penn state they're not going to be able to stop the good teams on that schedule so uh, i think it's very important which is i think the stakes of it are really why this is my pick for scary movie because uh everything else could be fixed and michigan still won't have a good defense if this is a problem cb2 they might have their own transfer come in with washington and light them up right so that's going to be an ugly start to the year if you can't figure that out so yeah i agree that's a great pick but i think for all the problems that we could probably talk about last year nothing is gonna register with the michigan fan the most than not having a cornerback and it the ricky white game alone is, is standing out in their mind of just kind of a, a metaphor of the whole season so man, yeah what do you got what, what's your pick I think I'll, I kind of want to follow you, actually. I think with uh, with MSU, like, position-wise, I think the biggest issue last year, they never found a linebacker who, you know, well, they did. Antoine Simmons was, was fine last year. He was good, and he was Antoine Simmons. But they lose Antoine Simmons and everything that came back, not counting the transfer, and that's where this could be a scary movie or become an opportunity. Um the linebackers really struggled. I mean, uh, you go to a whole new base system under Scotty Hazleton, you know, playing a lot of four, two, five, um, your linebackers are going to be out in coverage much more. They're much more, you need that lateral quickness. You need quick identification of your assignment where you need to go. Both Noah Harvey and Chase Klein struggled tremendously at that last year. Um, Noah Harvey, again, like, like I mentioned earlier with, Xavier Henderson is a plus tackler. If he gets in the position to make a tackle, he's going to make it. Um, but the problem last year was he was not in his position to make his tackles. So uh, that is going to be the biggest hinge of the season, I think, for MSU is finding does that position show growth, whether it's a transfer like Covarris Crouch coming in out of Tennessee, or does Ben Van Summeren give us something, <laughs> you know, not maybe played in the same role as. No, you didn't achieve what you guys wanted for Michigan. He will um, not. But really, you will, <laughs> you will not. But there we go. But no, like, I mean, I think it's it's either you need the transfers to pay off, whether it's it's more likely Crouch or Ben Van Zummeren at least pushes guys to be better, um, or you really need to see Chase Klein and Noah Harvey take a big step 
again, not learning a new defensive scheme on a Zoom call, but learning it in practice this year and having a full spring and fall camp. Because um, if they don't show that development, um, that position is going to be needed to be something that you hit the portal again next year. <laughs> uh, and also is going to be something that's going to be a problem this year. So uh, that's the scary movie for MSU's defense is really that linebacker position. Because even for okay. this crouch, all the athleticism he has, it has been written uh, ad nauseum since he transferred from Tennessee that he was, uh, I think, a four or five star running back coming out of high school. And Tennessee's linebacking, lineback coaching was about as good as Bob Shoup was last year for Michigan. <laughs> so, you know, he's an extremely talented athlete, but he does not exactly have the nuance of the position from high school or college. So, as much as, uh, you know, the raw materials are there, mentally there could be a lot of mistakes. And I mean, when you compare a guy to Antoine Simmons, there's going to be a lot of mental mistakes because that guy knew everything about where he needed to be. Um, so, yeah, that's that's got to be it for MSU. Yeah. And, I mean, linebacking play is so important. So, uh, it, it, hopefully they get a solution because that'll be tough if they don't. You're saying hopefully it's not Ben Van Zoomerang because – Man, I no, I'm saying hopefully. (laughs) No, I'm saying hopefully it is Ben Van Sumeren. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) But that's that that we may not have aligned interests here. Uh, Just how you want Vincent Gray to be lined up on Ricky Martin on Halloween weekend. You know, we we don't have to act act like we want what's best for each other all the time here. Um, So what you're saying is you want Jake Butt with eligibility coming back and put Ben Ben Van Sumeren on him is what you want, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh man all right let's not get too derailed who's the sleeper on michigan state's defense right, lots yeah. of transfers coming in i could see a sleeper coming from there or one of these young recruits uh what do you got so i mean honestly the sleeper probably could have been Jalen hunt but since i made him my my big dog i guess that kind of takes him out um i would probably put you know a go back to that that same position you know on the defensive line I would say one of the rotational defensive tackles whether it's uh, more than likely it's it's going to be one of Deshaun Mallory or Simeon Barrow Um, Simeon Barrow from Georgia had a great spring game after he opted out last year Um, so last year you didn't even get to see him come in and just even get mop-up minutes he completely opted out Um, you know used a red shirt year but but it was also an opt-out for a COVID uh, you know, as a COVID opt out. So um, didn't see him much at all. So the spring game was kind of like, oh, okay, he's, he's still around and he's making a difference. Um, and then Deshaun Mallory is probably uh, this summer's like workout king. I think he dropped 30 or 40 pounds and looks ripped. And he was one of the, you know, his photo from the weight program was definitely going around all summer. Um, so I think either one of those guys are probably a sweeper that, uh, you know, have been on the roster that can come out of nowhere. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, if you're looking at the transfer also, I'll throw in just to, just because the roster at MSU has changed so much, like you can honestly throw so much in there, but um, I don't think people talk about Ronald Williams quite enough outside of MSU fans. Like it's a four-star Juco transfer who was starting at Alabama until he was injured. So he could be really, really good. <laughs> um, it, it's hard to know. Coming from Juco is one knock against him. 
you know, he left Alabama, so was he that good? But he was playing pretty good at Alabama before being injured, so that's one to watch too. All right, yeah. Um, real quick, we'll finish up here and then get into our general feels about these defenses and then really about the general feels going into the year. Um, my sleepers on the Michigan defense, um, one of them, I'm going to say Nikai Hill Green. He's a linebacker who really was not seen by a lot going into this fall camp as having a shot to start, but he overtook Mike Barrett, making the position change from Viper to inside linebacker. And uh, practice reports seem really positive. So any, anytime somebody who wasn't really expected to win a job uh, can go and take it, and the conversation is more about them than about how bad the other person was, um, it makes me feel pretty good. So I think Nakai Hill Green could really come out and play well. Uh, another one I'm going to go with is going to be an, the other starting edge is David Ojabo. Uh, for those that don't know, I think he was a member of the 2019 recruiting class. So he is uh, a junior, probably a redshirt sophomore, though. Um, and he didn't start playing football till he was like 16. So he was a physical specimen that needed to learn how to play football. And from what it seems, he overtook uh, Taylor Upshaw for that position. So hopefully that all goes very well. And those are our uh, picks for the defense. Let's get to general feels. Um, I guess I'll start with Michigan. I don't feel great about it. <laughs> um, I think that this could be a decent defense, but the holes at uh, cornerback, P p combined with the inexperience and lack of proven output on the defensive line really has me nervous as well as, I mean, everything you hear about Mike McDonald is that he's a football savant, but like whether he's a savant or not, this is his first time being in charge of a defense. And I mean, all we heard about Josh Gaddis was that he was the next thing in football that we were all going to be raving about. Uh, and we're uh, three years into that experiment and we're already to the point of, if you don't show it this year, what are we doing? So uh, let's hope it's not the same thing with McDonald because if it is, this could be a long year. I think that's fair. I think you guys have been sold the future enough times that some skepticism, some healthy skepticism is fair. Um, you know, nothing against Mike McDonald, but why are we to believe what these same beat writers that, <laughs> that we joke of on both sides, right? But uh, the same beat writers who have talked up every other hire, every other thing as the next thing, um, why are they right this time? Um, and why were they so wrong the other time? So, uh, yeah, I, it's kind of wild to see Michigan. I think they made the right decision. Don Brown was clearly not working out from – a big game perspective and to do what you need to do, but is such a love affair and such a good situation with Don Brown for years. Kind of crazy to think like, yeah, not a lot of optimism about this defense all of a sudden. And no, man. Coming, off of, coming off of a COVID year where who knows, if you don't have opt-outs, you don't have certain things, like maybe Don Brown's even still there. I mean, no the way. game probably gets rid of it, but. Yeah, um, no, no, there's no way. I mean, just like, MSU ran like one play over and over well, to beat Michigan. That, and he I'm was, if you don't have your opt out, you're a little bit better in the defensive back. Okay. I, I know Ambry Thomas. Yeah. You're right. Ambry Thomas and 
If Ambry Thomas is out there and Jamon Green is the number two corner, Michigan probably wins mm-hmm. that game by two scores. However, you have to adjust, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he just yeah. refused to adjust. That's where you, that's where like, you lost it. Like, so. it, it, it was a problem when – and it's so crazy because he came in as this guy – like man he had he had the top defense at boston college like just imagine what he could do like the creative ways he gets and then he got his hands on some athletes and it was like crack he was like he was like i can just fucking line you straight up and beat your ass and i mean like in 2016 his first year here that happens they fucking held ohio state to 17 points in regulation when they had jt barrett curtis samuel like i mean that was a loaded team that they held the 17 points in regulation but eventually you get figured out. You have to change something, man. He, I, I don't see any way he stays after last year, no matter if COVID exists or not. Yeah. And then for me, it's, uh, I'll be honest, like pre our conversation with Nick Baumgartner, I was a little hmm, cautiously optimistic, I guess. Like, I guess I didn't give enough credit to the COVID year of learning new yeah. teams. And what I think I really forgot from, you know, I'll be honest, like, didn't get into the season as much last year as I normally would. So, like, the games were on, but did I study it? At, no. <laughs> like, they were on. So, I think what I forgot in the off season, heading into uh, how I would feel about this season is that that offense put that defense in a lot of pad positions last year. Um, <laughs> so, the stats were ugly. The score lines were very ugly. Um, but I think there's a lot that you could say of – incompetence from other areas impacting the one with maybe the most competence last year. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty optimistic, like looking at this schedule and hell looking at the game yesterday, <laughs> like changed right. my perspective yeah. a little bit too. Right. I uh, shouldn't probably be too much out of that game, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe it can be a, a quicker turnaround or a quicker retooling than I thought it would be um, to the defense back. So I'm, I have some optimism, but I also would not be shocked to see it not go as good as we hope. Dude, I tell you what, if you're already having problems with getting like too optimistic about the season, watching Nebraska, Illinois is not <laughs> good for that. Cause I felt the same way. I'm like, I literally was like, ah, uh, like going into the game. I'm like, Oh, Michigan has to go to Nebraska. You know, you get it on the road. It could get weird. And I was like, oh, that would be so embarrassing. I hope they don't lose that game. And, like, obviously, it would be way more embarrassing now that I see they're fucking terrible again. But, like, again. I'm not yeah. worried about it anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll see. We'll see after Michigan plays Washington how I feel. But, uh, let, you know, this is a great – that was a great transition, Jeremy. Let's, let's just move on to our general feels about – 2021 because we we were texting during that Nebraska Illinois game it felt it did it didn't feel like last year it did not feel fake and forced it felt like we are returning and I I don't want to turn this into a COVID segment because I know in a lot of areas of the country right now things are not going well um so I don't want to act like the pandemic is over but no matter your thoughts on the issue, we have to just accept that with all these vaccine mandates and so many people saying 
be vaccinated or get tested, we're not going back to empty arenas. Like that's just not happening. There's too much money on the line. They're not going to go back to playing games in front of no crowds. Um, so I think that's part of where the excitement came from yesterday, watching that game. It's just, it feels like, well, no matter where the cases are at, we're back, you know, <laughs> like this is college football. So, I mean, it's yeah. a big season for both, admit, both teams. And I'll admit, you know, usually um, another thing is I'm not a huge fan of starting the year with a conference game, but having that one, having a big 10 game in week zero, made a huge difference for me because I'm usually me not too. a week zero guy. Like I'll turn it on and like, or I'll be out at a brush on or bar and it's on. Go through the motions. And it's great to glance up and say like, Oh, like, look what's happening in the UAB two end game. Like there's some cool mm. stuff happening. Right. And, and I love G5 football, but it's like week zero when you, it's, it's the worst type of advertiser. It's like, uh, I have five games and they're all spread out. I'm not going to give a whole day to this. And yeah, you know, I, I really love week one, but having the big 10 on week zero was different, man. I, I watched almost every second of that game um, after I, I mean, I missed like the first quarter, but once I got, once I got the game on, I, I watched the whole game and I was into it and it was, it's not like it was a humongous crowd. It was about two thirds full. It was only maybe 40,000 people, but yeah, but that's a normal Illinois game, you know, like, so <laughs> that's true. That's, that's... But I mean, it's, it's weird. I think as a big 10 fan, right? Like maybe if we were SEC fans or, or big 12 fans, like some of those schools were pretty full last year, they weren't a hundred percent. And I'm sure there were different mandates and different things within the stadium that we couldn't tell on camera um, that made it feel different. But, you know, as a Big Ten fan last year, I was like, I never saw any of our teams play with play with a crowd. Yeah. You know, none no. of them. And so even when I would sit and watch an SEC game or Big 12, it would be – I almost would be pulled into, like, God, it's so weird seeing people there. And, again, you know, we don't want to get into a whole discussion, but maybe you're upset by seeing people there that – probably either way. Yeah. You're either no. upset that yeah. they're there or you're upset that you can't do it. Yeah, depending on your last, your, last your, year, but it wasn't fun. It wasn't yeah. fun, and I think this year is going to be a little bit more representative of college football being back, and mm-hmm. and we're here to ride with the pain and hopefully get some few high points of the season. Um, game day, game day had people, you know. Game day had it people. Wasn't a studio show. I mean, okay, was. I'm still not going to watch game day. Um, out of protest Which for Lee Corso still being there. Um. Oh. I know, dude. He just no, can't anymore. But see, my thing is, like, even again, do I watch game day? No, I have a 15-month-old son. You're high if you think I have two hours to get to game day. But when I put it on for my five minutes, I can see the signs. I can it just – That's true. Normal. No, no. You know? I, yeah, I see your point. Um, really gets me into this. I tweeted this yesterday. A, a game between two mid-to-low-tier Big Ten West teams – is the ideal week zero game because Mm -hmm. it's just enough to feel like real college football. But when we get like these awesome games next weekend, nobody's going to be like, Oh, this was tainted by having Nebraska, Illinois last week. Like if it was like Alabama versus Texas A&M or something, we'd be like, that's the real opening of college football. And this kind of feels weird, but we're not going to get that with this. That was just a fun adventure. And now we get the real opening weekend next weekend. 
the other thing that is good and and it's gonna be my hot take thank you covid for one thing my irish family over in ireland was supposed to have to have that game in ireland oh my god <laughs> oh we've gotten completely derailed we're supposed to be talking over under win totals no, god what the, the hell but you know what, but no, like actually to kind of to tie it back into the whole football is back i think having that game and not having it as some weird kitschy game in Ireland, but in Illinois um, helped me feel like, Hey, yeah, the big 10 season is back. Cause this is on a big mm-hmm. 10 campus. I've seen this stadium. Um, you know, like I think not having to be a weird week zero kind of kitschy thing that you have to, yeah, do to no, play on week for zero. Sure. That's the only reason they were actually allowed to play on week zero is because it was supposed to be in Ireland. So that is so funny, man. I, so yeah. I wish it would have been in Ireland partially because just because that game was so weird anyways, like it would have been funny, but at the same time, it felt so nice having a game back on campus. It was a big 10 game. Um, and Illinois let, had momentum. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, no. over, so over under here, what I was going to say is watching that game and football being back, you, you put down our notes here over under at five wins. So I think that's what MSU has moved to. Yep. I checked um, it tonight. That's what they're at. We'll, uh, we'll cover this week when we go to do our picks, we'll cover season-long bets that we put in. But that line started at four. So that shows you the momentum of optimism. Mm. Right? Um, right, yes. I would say that I would really argue that I wanted a push. <laughs> like five is like about where I saw the season going. Um, but the swing of that Nebraska game, man, I, if we beat <laughs> Nebraska, that's my sixth win right there. So right. I guess I'm going to say over. Because, you know, looking at MSU schedule, I guess I see – I mean – I, I'm pretty confident about the Northwestern game. They just don't scare me. And we beat a much better Northwestern team last year. So I feel kind of confident in the Northwestern game and Youngstown State and Nebraska, Western Kentucky. I mean, there's four wins before you get out of, you know, the first week of October. Um, and then you have Rutgers, Purdue, Maryland left. So win two of those. So I guess I'm going to say over. Yeah, uh, I'm going to agree with you. I actually had the overpegged uh, before we got into the Nebraska-Illinois of it all. Um, this is where I'm going to be an insufferable idiot that's just an optimistic fool like I get every year. Uh, but I'm doing it with bowl teams. I really think MSU is being undervalued. I think they're going to make a bowl game. I see, uh, you know, one, two, three. I see three sure wins on the schedule. And then I see probably four or five that are toss up. So I, I think they'll get to six wins at, at the least. I'm confident in getting a push at five, you know, like I, like you mentioned. So uh, I'd take the over on the MSU win total and uh, Michigan is at seven and a half. And I got crucified online for this, but I put real actual dollars on over seven and a half for Michigan this year. And um Sure, I'm being a slappy, and I don't even care. But here's the thing. I think last year was so bad, made worse by circumstances that were impacted by COVID. And I just think that all the different moves they made really made a lot of sense. And I think if you can go the whole year or maybe, you know, three quarters of the year with a healthy quarterback. I think there's a lot of winnable games on that schedule. I'm not that afraid of, afraid of Washington. Um, I think I'll just say that 
that's the yeah. hinge game, right? Because I just went through the schedule too, and I came up my quick like first my first gut reaction was it's seven, and then it depends on Washington because that's either going to be game eight or we stay at seven. When I went yeah. through, and I and my gut reaction was Washington to win for Michigan, being at the big house again. Washington doesn't scare me either. That game scared me more when Chris Peterson was the coach when the game was scheduled. You know, all these things going into it. Um, I I see Michigan as an eight-win team, and heck, I think I included Indiana as one of the losses. And if you beat Indiana, now we're talking nine. So yeah, yeah, that's Indiana, how. It... And you could you could swap Indiana Washington. You could lose to Washington, but then beat Indiana, and you still end up at eight in the way that I did the schedule. So I think you're yeah. fine to do over on that. I think that I think eight and four to me feels the most likely. Yeah, me too. Um, I really just think there's too much talent on this Michigan team. And the, like everybody talks about um, how talented the running back room is. And then they also talk about how like Mike Hart at Indiana was legitimately like a difference maker coaching those running backs and stuff like that makes it. We're like, man, if Cade McNamara can literally do the bare minimum as like a game manager and just hit decent throws and like hit wide open guys. Um, yeah, I think it hinges on Gaddis at that point. And I, and I feel okay about that. You know, I think this is going to be a team who maybe, maybe people get a little bit too overconfident in when they start, if they start four and oh and beat the crap out of Washington. And then maybe there's a turn where they just get absolutely molly whopped in Madison week five. But I, I think this could be a very you play Nebraska. And you'll feel I, exactly. good. You play Nebraska, and then you have a bye week, and then Northwestern. So then you no. you have your chance to turn it around. So. I I think so too. I think what I see is very ho hum year, where they beat the shitty teams. They have a scare against MSU or Rutgers, maybe. But I think you're gonna see the losses to Wisconsin, Penn State on both of those on the road, plus the loss to Ohio State, and then maybe they lose a game they should. Maybe they or Indiana. Indiana is probably a, a better team here, than them. So here's where I would argue with your you're catching your flack online. Eight and four won't make the Michigan fans happy. You will be right. You'll oh, but they're all saying, there. dude, they're all saying like six wins. A lot of people are really low on this Michigan team, and I, I get it because last year happened well, and that was real. That's what Nick talked about. He said it was worst case scenario, but it was also real. It happened and there were reasons it happened. And and right. I get that, but I just, I do not look at this roster and see a way that they don't at least win seven games. And to me, if they don't at least win seven games this is the way I feel in the lines at seven and a half, I'm willing to take that jump and think that maybe Jim Harbaugh it, with a revitalized outlook and really pissed about how people are talking about him. I, I, I'm willing to make the gamble that they can get over that. For sure. And like my thing is, you eight and four. And if we lay it out, I think you and I are in pretty good agreement on the wins and losses of where this comes from. Yes. Eight and four is not going to be a good run, though, <laughs> for, for the feeling around the program, only in the fact that I think what will happen is you will come into that Indiana game with one loss. And then you will lose three of your final four games with the one win being against Maryland pre-Ohio State. So no one will give a shit because they just are already dreading the Ohio yep. State game. And you go eight and four, you go to a bowl game, you 
it depends on your matchup there, you know, and whether the team cares. But the thing is, you're not a slappy because I think at eight and four, you won't be happy either. <laughs> no, so, no, I, it, I'm no, I don't think I will be, especially if it happens how you just outlined, which I can't disagree with. I, I, I literally. Without looking at that schedule, I listed those games as the losses. Um, and, and so I, I don't think they'll be happy with that. Uh, the whole knock event against Harbaugh in general was once November starts, uh, mm-hmm. that's when it falls to shit. And I don't even think it'll be that his fault if it's how it goes that year, just by when the games happen. But either way, that'll be the narrative. I really think it all depends mm-hmm. on how that Ohio State game looks. If you end up with a record like eight and four, I think you're literally looking whether he's back here next year is how respectable that loss is to Ohio State, um, which is right. not a very fun it. situation to be in. This is going to be a year of a lot of really good stories. We're going to, uh, we plugged the athletic last week. Um, and you're going to this season with both of these teams, I think is going to get really, really interesting at a lot of different points. Yeah. And the thing that I think is going to be ugly is I think there's going to be an ugly loss to Penn State in there too. <laughs> and that's going to be an ugly end of ugly to Penn State. See, but I'm not even, no I'm not cares. high on Penn State. I, uh, Michigan I sucked last year and Penn State barely beat them. And like, I, I here's the thing. It's, it's at Penn State in November, so it's gonna be one of those where it kicks off at three thirty. It's a whiteout and it's dark. It's not a whiteout. Forty-five. Their their whiteout game is against Auburn. They can, so that can they not that do matters. more than one. I don't think they do. So, <laughs> I it's it won't be a night it's, game. It, hey, the last time Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere, everything is a whiteout. Okay. <laughs> The last time Michigan won in Happy Valley was when they got the noon or 3.30 or whatever it was slot on ESPN2 where both teams were respectable, but nobody cared. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen this year is you're going to have <laughs> you're going to have a, a, a 15th ranked Michigan against a 12th ranked Penn State. And like it's a four team playoff. So it's like, oh, who gets to finish second to Ohio State? Like, so, I mean, it could be Indiana in that mix as well, but um, I'm just wishing for a return to normal. I hope that game is respectable. Um, you know, it wasn't respectable. That Illinois Nebraska game. So, I was wondering, are we still going to banter? Because we did some bantering. But yeah, but I feel like we got to talk about it because about the game itself. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Let's just go through it. You have the punt return that turned into a safety because the dude ran back into his own end zone to catch it. You have two missed extra points by Nebraska. You have Nebraska being up. Not only. No, they were up and they were about to, they got an interception to take a two touchdown lead basically. And then Illinois went on like a 30 point run. I mean, this game was so fucking stupid. And even for the gamblers, that second extra point miss was the over missing as well. Because yes, yes, it was. The line was fifty-two and a half. And let's talk about that drive. Nebraska gets the ball thirty sixteen. They had a great quick drive right when it went. It went to thirty to nine. I mean, they were getting pistol whipped. And then Martinez had a long touchdown run. They answered right away to get to thirty sixteen. Get a stop. Get the ball back. With about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter and proceed to do a seven minute drive down 14 
that included Scott Frost yelling at the reps for not setting the ball quickly and then his team never snapping the ball with more than 25 seconds on the play clock. Yeah, as somebody the problem, buddy. They're not the problem. (laughs) As somebody who had Nebraska minus seven, um, not a fun experience. I can (laughs) tell you that that ship had sailed. Because even if you get to overtime. Well, gonna win by six or seven. No, they could have gotten a push. So the the best case oh, scenario wow. at one point was double overtime. They get the ball first, get all eight points, and then get like an interception or some shit. But you have to go triple. By the that way. was a no. They changed the rule, man. I'm pretty yeah, sure this year oh, okay. it starts at double. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I I I had kissed my money goodbye. That is true. But like even. It's just like when James Franklin kicks a field goal down 40, like 42 to zero. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you get paid money well, that would change my life forever. So, and you so can't even about, manage a game. So what that drive was to me, and it's crazy to say it's in week one, because who knows they could turn their season around and have a perfectly decent season, whatever. That was the Brady Hope drive where you're like, Brady, we're down two scores. Why Hurry up. We, yeah, Jim Harbaugh. No, oh, it's a Jim Harbaugh two. drive too. Two. Yeah. That game, that Michigan State game last year, they were down two scores and took seven minutes when they had eight minutes left on the clock. Oh. Like oh. it's 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 those situations where I'm like and I and you know with Scott, I just don't get it. I'm like, I saw you at <laughs> I saw you at UCF. You I don't know. We're quick. Why is there a mental block when you come back to your alma mater to do things that you just didn't care about before? And it, we see it with other coaches. Jim is one of them. Like, Jim, you were cutthroat as hell other places. Why is there a mental block with being an alma mater that you like can't be yourself? Because it, there might be. What the hell? It also might have more to say about the institutions at Nebraska and Michigan, potentially. Good. Um, Good. But man, I tell you, but I'm, but I'm sick of the comparison. So, because I saw a tweet that said in order for Scott Frost to have the same record Jim Harbaugh has at Michigan, he would need to go 37 and one in his next 38 games. So can we please, for the love of God, quit equivalating the two because they are not the same. And it's, it's, it's so bad because in, I will say Nebraska was in a worse situation than uh, Michigan was in when Brady Hoke left. It doesn't matter because this is the fourth year. This is the fourth year, and you can't even use COVID as an excuse because Scott Frost was telling them to practice when the actual school said they couldn't and the Big Ten said they couldn't. So, I mean, it's just they are in a situation that is very, very bad, and I mean – if you would have told, because we're now on the 10-year anniversary of Nebraska joining the Big Ten, if you would have told Nebraska fans when they were coming off, like playing Texas for Big 12 titles and just like absolutely being at the top of the Big 12, and now they're in the Big Ten, and the most success they've had since joining is getting beat like 78 to 10 in a Big Ten championship like six years ago, I mean, not even six, Brennan. It was 2012. Holy shit. That happened almost 10 years ago. Yeah. That wow. was their second year in the league. They haven't been, they haven't gotten back to that place since then. 
I mean, we're on nine. This is the ninth year since that's happened. This Dude. Is- Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, I was excited when they joined the Big Ten, but what an absolute dud. Like, I just I, – I have a feeling that with all the craziness going on with the conferences, Nebraska is not a Big Ten team in 10 years. That's my prediction. Uh, I think also, they want out. Also, you're you're crazy on that one. That's not happening. That they're, they're enough of a fit that they'll be around. But here's my hot take. Their basketball program has a better outlook with Fred Hoiberg there than their football program with Scott Frost. And well, no shit. Stuff. Scott Frost is literally like 10 and 60. Like, I, it's but, not even. But there's no way you should even. It, there's no best unless they hired Jawan Howard and all his recruits. There's no way you should say the Nebraska football program is no. not a better no. outlook than the basketball program. But we can say that today because. Okay, Jeremy. They're that bad. Look, look over to Ann Arbor. I know it's a different situation. But what would you rather have, Juwan Howard's program right now, or would you rather have Jim Harbaugh's? It's the same oh, no, fucking thing. No, I know. But Jim is, is respectable. Nebraska is not even respectable. Man. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk after this year about Jim being respectable. 